Good morning, Tucson. It's a beautiful day in the old Pueblo. Thank you for spending a part of your brunch hour with us on your downtown Tucson community-sponsored rock and roll radio station. This week, we're going to discuss major accomplishments with multiple local chefs. Today is February 9th. My name is Tom Heath, and you're listening to Life Along the Streetcar. Each and every Sunday, our focus is on social, cultural, and economic impacts in Tucson's urban core, and we shed light on hidden gems we think everyone should know about. From May Mountain to you, Arizona, and all stops in between, you get the inside track right here on 99.1 FM, streaming on downtownradio.org, also available anywhere you go by downloading our very own Downtown Radio Tucson app to your iPhone or Android. Once it's in there, you've got us all day, all night, all week. You can reach us by email on the show right here directly. Contact at lifealongthestreetcar.org. Head over to Facebook if you want to interact with us there. We're also on Twitter at Streetcar Life. And uh, if you want to check out our past episodes, we invite you over to our website, which we're continuing to build out, and that is lifealongthestreetcar.org. Well, we're going to start today's show with some bondage and erotica. February 14th. That's a date that inspires some. It scares others. It's a day that excites and depresses. But there's no doubt about it. It's a celebration of love on Valentine's Day, February 14th. Well, this year on February 13th, the last full day where you can really make something special happen that last minute before the big day. This Thursday, the 13th, you can head over to Thunder Canyon Brewery in downtown to sample a night of all things erotica. As part of the Tucson Erotic Art Show, they do this annually. They've put together a, uh, an evening with a vendor market and an erotic extravaganza. So it's going to be Thursday at Thunder Canyon Brewery. There's going to be demonstrations, a live DJ, erotic art, that vendor's market we talked about, a sexy raffle, which I don't know what that is, but that sounds kind of exciting. And, uh, of course, there'll be some food and drink specials courtesy of those at Thunder Canyon. There's some demonstrations, though, from 7 to 11 p.m. Uh, Aurora DeShazo is going to be there demonstrating the art of Japanese rope bondage. And there's also a sign-up sheet if you want to get tied up by Aurora in a safe environment. From 8 to 10, Kinetic Arts Tucson. Tucson's premier location for pole dance, aerial arts, and other disciplines will be... Uh, showing how to dazzle on the pure power of the pole, how it's done with style, grace, and a whole lot of strength, I can imagine. It's a pre-Valentine's Day pop-up market, so if you're interested, uh, we'll link to that on our Facebook page after the show and invite you to head over there and uh, check out the details. Something else known for on valentine's day is a nice dinner you go out and probably got to make reservations because everybody's out that night well there's been a lot of chefs in the news in the last week so we thought we'd kind of catch up on a little bit of that news and tie it back to a story we did on the city of gastronomy in 2019 
Most recently, you, you may have heard that Mo Madrill, he is the owner of a food truck called Geronimo's Revenge, a food truck that has gotten numerous awards here in Tucson. I think it was voted the best food truck uh, in the city. Might, might have done that multiple times. But he was recently on the Food Network's Grocery Games with uh, Guy Fieri. He was on there, and uh, he competed, represented Tucson well, and won his grocery games. And if you're not familiar with the show, uh, there's an episode where the, the chefs, there's usually, I think there's four of them, and they, they're in a grocery store, and they have to get certain ingredients, or they can't get certain ingredients to cook a dish. And uh, throughout the day, Fieri um, throws obstacles in their way, makes them do crazy things, and... Um, they have to put together some delicious food in this environment under a tight time clock. Well, Mobadrill won his round of grocery games, so he walked away as a winner. Just saw that on uh, television last Wednesday. He's not the only one here in Tucson. We did have um, Travis uh, Peters from the parish competed a couple of years ago, won as well. So Tucson is uh, at least uh, two wins on guys' grocery games. But we, uh, we, taught, we remembered Mo's name because back in 2019, we did a story on the city of gastronomy. And uh, we had the executive director, Jonathan Mabry, and the president of the board, Giannis Wilder, and did an interview with them about the, the importance of this designation. And uh, Mo Bedrill's name came up at that point as well because he was selected by the city of gastronomy here in Tucson to go and represent to China uh, in a in a demonstration of uh, culinary uh, culinary skills and, and, and local cuisine, traveling that around the world. And I remember the quote, and um, it was Janos Wilder saying that Mo Madrill had put together a, a noodle dish to take to China. And this is a, a direct quote from Janos. It's pretty ballsy to take a noodle dish to China. But he did using uh, ingredients here in Tucson and pr creating something that they had never seen over in China. So Momadrill is not new on the food scene. He has got a good reputation, a great reputation here in Tucson, and now it's starting to spread across the country. Also in that interview that we did with uh, Jonathan Mabry and Janos, we talked about kind of where the city of gastronomy was going. And one of the things that they announced is that they were going to be starting to certify restaurants that uh, meet within the, uh, the standards that it takes to get the uh, the city of gastronomy designation. And there are a couple here in the urban core that were just announced. So we just wanted to highlight those and congratulate those individuals. We have um, Maria Maison, who is at Boca Tacos that used to be down there on the Speedway near the campus. And she moved over to Fourth Avenue a few years ago and uh, has been doing pretty well there from what I can tell. Every time I go by, the place seems to be packed. Uh, salsas are her, her signature. She is a... Um, prolific salsa maker but her food is fantastic as well and then we also another mexican restaurant sace which has a, a place over at the mercado with the um uh, kind of the walk-up area there and you you order and sit down but sace has done pretty well and the uh owners of that erica and uh, jake munoz congratulations to you so we, we will link to all of the restaurants that are getting this designation here in 2020 but we thought today would be a really good day to sort of go back and share that interview that we did with uh, Janos and uh, Jonathan Mabry 
So we're going to play that for you. It's actually the second part of a, of a two-week uh, segment that we did. The first, the first one, which we're not going to hear today, is about how the city of gastronomy came to Tucson, the efforts, and, and what it took to, to bring us to that point. Today's episode, uh, is, it's going to be more about the impact of that designation and, and what the future holds. So you're listening to our 2019 interview with uh, Janos Wilder and Jonathan Mabry of the Tucson City of Gastronomy. I think that one of the things that Tucson chefs excel at, the chefs that we're sending, are using our heritage ingredients in creative new dishes that they're inventing. And they're learning, and I'm learning, that that's not the approach of all of the other cities of gastronomy. We've learned that most of the other cities of gastronomy, they're emphasizing their traditional dishes. And uh, in their approaches, those dishes are their cultural traditions, and those dishes need to be made the same way, with the same ingredients. And then we have cities like um, Tucson and, and, and San Antonio, uh, we have a lot of chefs who are, we not only know how to make these traditional dishes of our region, but we have so much creativity among our chefs and they're creating new dishes using our heritage ingredients. And they're doing that in San Antonio too. And a few of the other cities of gastronomy. So it gets to different concepts of authenticity. So most of the cities of gastronomy, authenticity means making the traditional dishes with the, with the traditional ingredients, with the traditional uh, preparation techniques, and the traditional recipes. And then there's cities like Tucson and San Antonio and uh, Ostersund, Sweden, and, and, and others where it's incredible how creative the chefs are being with, with, with the traditional ingredients. And, 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 and that's authentic too. And, you, and UNESCO recognizes that explicitly as, authentic, as authenticity because it, uh, UNESCO defines uh, food heritage is living heritage and it's constantly being recreated. It's not fixed and unchanging. And, and then I just learned about a, another concept of authenticity among the cities of gastronomy, that several of the cities of gastronomy in East Asia, their chefs are open to new ingredients. But to them, authenticity is using the traditional preparation techniques. So it's just interesting to see how varied the, the, the concepts of authenticity are. Well, so I think that that's a really interesting conversation to have. So in this country and others that, that you mentioned, the role of the chef is, is become defined in, I'd say, the last... 35 to 50 years as one that begins to break tradition and changes cuisine to, to become 
consistent with modern life. So, for instance, in, 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 in France, you have a cuisine that comes from a long history of cuisine, but mo in, in the most recent, in, not the most recent, but recent incarnation through Karam and Escoffier, who codified the food and the style of cooking was long meals and lots of preservation techniques and didn't have a lot of refrigeration and it was a, and it was part of the aristocracy. And the aristocracy were the only ones that could afford to eat that way. Modern cuisine has been democratized and so everybody is elect, can, can get, in this country, we're, we're, we're a wealthy country and a lot of people are able to eat well and the job of the chef is to modify recipes and create recipes that can be great cooking on an everyday basis or on an cuisine basis and constantly push the envelope a bit. In, in, in my mind, one of the things that, that, that I went through as a young chef learning about, about this, and really there weren't models for, for this or learning on my own, I, authenticity was very important to me and learning about the ingredients, but not only the ingredients, the techniques as well. And so I would take and sort of define what I call the cultural culinary icons, like a chili relleno, and determine what is the ideal type of that. What is that in its most basic, best form, which went, how do, what kind of chilies do you use? How do you prepare the chilies so that, so that, so that they're prepared properly, that they're, they maintain their vitality, their color, their thickness, their flavor, lots of technique-driven things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For, that was a personal role for, for me, is I wanted to become true to what our heritage was, but then expand it and use it as a point of departure and by being authentic with, the, with, with technique and with ingredients, but change it up from there, so not, be, not having to conform to any preconceived notions. So how does how does one get to that uh, that part of a of a chili relleno? Is this are you researching? Are you are you eating at different restaurants? Are you are, how do you figure out well, what the essence of a chili relleno well, is? It it becomes an intellectual exercise first. So intellectually, what is this dish? Is it are, are you going to define a chili relleno by what's inside of it, or are you going to define it? Are you going to define it by the chili and the use of the chili? And I make make a different choice. I made the choice, I wanted to find it by the chili and how the chili is handled. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So the techniques to preserve the chili. It was more of a response to like, from the chili meals I had. In all honesty. And and then, okay, so is it battered or is it not? If it's battered, what kind of batters are you going to use? Mm -hmm. How do you how do you how do you batter something like that? if you want to use a batter and not hide the flavor. Then what are these fillings going to be? And to me, at that point, that, the whole world is open to you at, 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 at that point. So this is going to sound like a, a silly question, uh, especially as I'm asking this to the two of you, but why is authenticity so important? Every place has a different history and a different story to tell. And so I believe that authenticity uh, is a way for uh, people to express the continuity of 
their story in that place. From a chef's perspective, it's really important to me because it feels right and important and powerful to be connected to the entire continuum of culinary history and to know our place in that and to have respect for what came before while moving forward. And that happens in all, all areas, all areas of life, but that connectivity to the past is what grounds you and adds depth and meaning to your life. So you've been, you've been a restaurant owner in Tucson for, th for 30 plus years. Yeah. And it sounds like every day you're still learning. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. So the, these yeah. these newer chefs that that are coming up that you're training as ambassadors, you're you're probably learning things from them that. Oh, you better believe it. That's one of the most thrilling pieces about it. Uh, yeah. The the last uh, the most recent chef that we we sent to represent Tucson. We selected a food truck chef. And of course, this is. Uh, the food truck that was voted the best food truck in Tucson the last two years in a row, Geronimo's Revenge, Mo Madrill, and he taught us some some new things, didn't he? Yeah, well, his, he he was he's really steeped in the in the region. He's part Native American. He's part Hispanic. He has a long heritage, and he and the thing was really interesting about him was. He was able to really personalize a lot of the um, culture and traditional uh, stories and, and, and mythology as well. So he brought a lot of historical mythology into um, the ingredients, the explanation of the ingredients he was he was using, and in some cases myths that I didn't I didn't know. He probably did, or maybe didn't. And with those traditional ingredients, he invented. An entirely new dish. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, and and wanted to take to China. He he did he he did a, a noodle dish, and you know, kind of ballsy taking a noodle dish to China. <laughs> <laughs> but it was and a it, kind of noodle that they had never seen before. Right. Yeah, based on corn. We're uh, in the middle of our interview with Janos Wilder of Downtown Kitchen Cocktails and Jonathan Mabry, the executive director of the Tucson City of Gastronomy. We'll be back to the second half of that interview about things that are coming. I want to remind you, though, that you are listening to Life Along the Streetcar on Downtown Radio, 99.1 FM, and streaming on downtownradio.org. We're going to hear the second half of our interview today from 2019. We uh, originally aired this in 2019 with Giannis Wilder and Jonathan Mabry, talking about the city of gastronomy, and in this episode, kind of talking about the future of what that designation means, and they're actually going to reference a certification process that they're undertaking and they've actually launched that here in 2020. And we announced a couple of restaurants, Sace, uh, Mexican Restaurant, and Boca Tacos, two of uh, several others in the area that have received that designation. And uh, we'll head over to Facebook afterwards and, and link all of the uh, restaurants so that you can see them all. But back to our second half of the interview. So here's a, a good problem to have. But with all this talent coming, can Tucson sustain this level, do we have the population that, that can, can support to this? To sustain this creativity? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I would pivot that. I would actually pivot there because it's not just the base population, which is always increasing, but it's the tourist population. I mean, that, that is, 
that's a big so this is a big economic driver and the tourism that that become having this designation brings to us and that and the demands that they have or the expect I would better put as the expectations they bring is going to continue to push this and perpetuate it forward so the figure is that since we've got this designation there has been over 31 million dollars worth of unpaid advertising yeah. advertising or, or journalism um, um, on the city of gastronomy the, the research shows that that one of the two of the things that people are looking for when they travel now travel is different travelers are different than they were 20 and 30 years ago and longer ago than that it's the word authenticity comes up again, and there is culinary travel. Mm -hmm. People are people are traveling on their stomachs, and they want new experience and experience that can only be had where they where, where they're traveling to. So that really sort of that creates even more more demand. And with all this media attention about our UNESCO gastronomy designation, more and more. Tourists are coming to Tucson for the food. And Visit Tucson told us recently that since the designation, there's been a 14% increase in the uh, dollars spent by tourists in our restaurants. And last year, in 2018, visitors spent $694 million in our restaurants. That's a lot of chili rellenos. That's what I'm saying. 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 For both tourists and for people who live here, and we have just initiated a certification program so that restaurants can be certified as Tucson City Gastronomy sort of certified restaurants. And we're just launching that right now. Yeah, it's it's this is uh, this is is really kind of a big deal, I think, uh, uh, locally, and will be a big deal nationally, and it will be a really big deal within our our, our Creative Cities network because this is something that no, no other city is doing, and we're, we're going to be leading the way in, in, in how to create this, as well as our ambassador program. I don't think anybody's doing anything with, like we're doing in our ambassador program either. That's fantastic. So what's next on the horizon? What's, I mean, besides the, the application process, what's the big things coming up? Well, we are working with the McGuire Center for Entrepreneurship at the Eller College of Management at the university on developing a regional food brand for Southern Arizona so that consumers can recognize when they go into the stores what are the what are the truly local foods of this region and not not foods that uh, uh, most of the ingredients are, are being imported and they're just the products are just being packaged here but no, the, ingre the, the ingredients are from here, and it's unique 
uh, food products that include um, regional ingredients. So uh, we think that there's uh, consumer interest in this, and we know that there's uh, interest uh, by visitors. In, I mean, when you go to a city in another part of the world, aren't you looking for one of the food products that I can't find anywhere else? I want to bring some of those home. That's what everybody's looking for. That's absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. We're excited to get going on that project, and uh, we're, we're still uh, thinking it through. We're still studying these types of hyper-local food brands in, in, in other regions to learn from them, and uh, we're, we're going to uh, do it here. So that, that's that's, that's going to be another sort of game changer. Yeah. Tucson seems to be changing this game quite a bit. So come back to us next fall, and we'll have a whole new list of stuff for you. Yep. Well, listeners can always keep up with what's going on and learn more about the designation and about the, what the nonprofit is doing by going to the website, tucson.cityofgastronomy.org. That was Jonathan Mabry of Tucson City of Gastronomy. He was joined by Janos Wilder, and again, that was recorded back in 2019. So some of the things I've talked about are in place and uh, congratulate those restaurants that are receiving that City of Gastronomy designation. You can check them all out on our Facebook page. We'll have a link there for you after the show. My name is Tom Heath. You are listening to Life Along the Streetcar, Downtown Radio, 99.1 FM, and available for streaming on downtownradio.org. Well, today's show is complete. Episode number 122 is in the books. Head over to lifealongthestreetcar.org if you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, and if you check out on Facebook, we'll have some links for you later today. And then, of course, the show will be available for podcast later in the week. We're going to leave you with a little music today from Katie Haverly. She's here in Tucson. And uh, because we have so much activity happening in our culinary world, uh, this is uh, what I think of Tucson Kitchens right now. There is a uh, fire in the kitchen. Have a fantastic week, and please tune in next Sunday for more Life Along the Streetcar.